Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Simplicity. Simplicity. A word that we seldom hear these days. I'll say it again. Simplicity. It's a word that needs to make a comeback, yes, in our culture, but specifically in the church of Jesus Christ. The word simplicity. Because you see, we, as human beings, created in the image of God, but who have undergone the fall of humanity, we are constantly searching for the complex, for the most nuanced version of this or that. Because you see, whether we know it or not, beloved, whether we know it or not, our minds have been tricked, bamboozled, lied to by our culture. You see, we think that the things that are complex, that are idiosyncratic, hard to explain, hard to understand, these things we have been told are by their very nature better. That these things are further down the avenue of progress street, as it were. We love complexity. We push back simplicity. We do it all the time. But you see, beloved, the fact is that this is not, in fact, necessarily the case. You see, just because something's complex or hard to understand doesn't mean that it's, quote-unquote, equally better for you than something that might be more simple to understand. Complexity, or at least our perception of something being complex, doesn't mean that it's better, and something being simple, or at least our perception of it being simple, doesn't mean that it's worse. Matter of fact... I think complexity and simplicity are both properties of the truth. Let me say it again. Complexity and simplicity are both properties of the truth. And they're dependent on the fact that all truth comes from our triune God. All truth comes from our triune God. And if all truth comes from Him then truth, by nature, is infinitely complex for us, right? If he is eternal and infinite, truth is infinitely complex. But you see, Jesus, the Word of God made flesh, also came to us in a way that we can understand in simple terms. We in the church cannot push back the simple in favor only of the complex, you may think that I've lost my mind with all this philosophical jargon here at the beginning. But let me tell you I'm going somewhere with it. Let me begin with this simple truth. Now, this is not complex. This is actually very simple. Abide in me, our Lord says. Abide in me. A simple truth. How many of you all have heard of the author... Um, David Foster Wallace. Have you heard of him? A few of you? Okay. 
Now, um, I hesitate to quote David Foster Wallace in a sermon, but he's on to truth, he's on to something here, and I think that it's important for us to understand the fact that we as Christians, unfortunately, have pushed back the simple truths of our faith in search of much deeper, more nuanced versions of them that actually confuse and lead us into despair. Here's what Wallace said. This was in a speech he gave in the early 2000s before he was... He tragically died. He said this, The most obvious, ubiquitous, that is meaning that it's found everywhere, the most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and to talk about. Pretty true, right? The most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see or for us to talk about. He goes on to say, stated as an English sentence, this, of course, that is what he just said, is a banal platitude. The platitude, the most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often ones that are hardest to see and to talk about. You could imagine someone saying that. We're like, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. Kind of a platitude. But he said this. In fact, in the day-to-day trenches of our existence, banal platitudes can have life or death importance. In the midst of our existence, what we see as banal platitudes actually can have life or death importance. Jesus says, abide in me. We hear those words from John 15 so often. If you've been raised in the church, you've heard Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The Father is the vine dresser. We've heard the simple truth, abide in me. And so we hear it, and what it becomes for us, unfortunately, by the power of the devil, is a banal platitude that's actually empty, devoid of any meaning. I mean, you've, maybe you're following me, maybe you're not. Have you ever been in a situation where you're with someone, and you're like, man, I really want to say something true to them from Scripture, but you're like, I'm not going to say it because it might be seen as a banal platitude. You ever been there? You feel the Spirit moving you to say something like as simple as Jesus loves you. I I don't know if I can say it because what if they're going to receive that as like Jesus loves you, but what does that actually mean? And and I don't know their understanding of, of Jesus and love. We so often have seen the profound truths of God as banal platitudes in the church. And let me, let me say, don't do that. Don't do it. Because in these simple truths rests the complexity and beauty of our very salvation. I remember talking with someone in my office, and I felt the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit of a charismatic, but not, you know, not wearing because we're not too charismatic. We're just a little charismatic. So I'm in my office, and I'm sitting down, and the Holy Spirit is telling me to simply tell the person that I'm sitting across from who is having some, some major issues in life that are very complex, by the way, very complex, for me to say to them, God created you, and through his son, Jesus Christ, let me remind you, he loves you. That was what I was supposed to say. Here's kind of what I actually said. Well, you know... Um, 
Okay, God the Almighty, this, this triune God, three persons in one essence, you know, um, through the first four councils of the church, we see that. And then psychologically speaking, yes, there are multiple factors going on in your life. And I begin to psychologize and to try to enter into the complexity of this simple truth, but I did it not to the benefit of them, but actually probably to their detriment. Sometimes we should find rest in the simple truths, such as Jesus' words, abide in me. But I mentioned earlier that within any truth, because all truth comes from God, there is both simplicity but, but complexity. So, for instance, some of you that have um, youth or uh, youth-age children or children that are kind of, um, what do they call them, tweens or something? Is that a thing? Tweens or youth, okay? Or maybe you have grandkids that are tweens or youth. Yes, you shouldn't just say, come here, honey, Jesus loves you, and that's it. No. It's good sometimes to get into the complexity of what does it mean? It means that Jesus knows you by name. He sacrificed his very life, his very body for you. I mean, right, it is good to go into the complexities also, but we can't live there. We go back and forth. Travis Colbins and I were talking about this the other day. We begin with the simplicity of the gospel and of the truths of our Lord. And then as the Spirit allows, we go deep to, to let them see the, the complex truth and beauty and goodness of God. But we also just can't stay there. We come back to the simple truth. The most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and to talk about. But the fact is that in the day-to-day -day trenches of our existence, banal platitudes can have life or death importance. Let's turn to the Gospel of John. It's on page 901, should you need to find it. And you should need to find it. Actually, it's going to be good for us to walk through this. John 15, verses 1 through 11. It's on page 901. Jesus is going to give these very simple truths that reveal the complexity of our salvation, of our calling as disciples. Jesus begins with this phrase, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In Isaiah 5, the people of God, Israel, is referred to as the vine. They're the vine. As a matter of fact, it's the father's vineyard and he's the vine dresser. Israel's the, the vine. So Jesus is saying, I now am the true Israel. In me is the perfect obedience to the law that was given to the Israelites and I am now the vine. Not just the nation of Israel. Now it is me. It is my life. I am the true vine, the authentic vine. And my father is the vine dresser. The father in heaven, of course, is the one overseeing all of our salvation. He's also the one that's overseeing the, 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 the pruning, the cutting. And let me say this at the outset here before we get too involved in our, in our text this morning, in my sermon. It's this. And this is a tough reality for all of us, beloved. We can't avoid being cut. We actually can't avoid being cut by the Father. But you see, we're going, we're going to, to learn here, if you don't know already, there are two types of being cut. There's one cut that cuts the branch off to throw it in the fire. There's another cutting that is a pruning. And it's so that you and I can bear more fruit. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Beloved, when you come up against suffering in life, you have two options. One option is to believe that it's just the universe at large that is, is throwing some moment of suffering on you, that has no point and no purpose. The other way to read it is as a believer, and to say that in this moment is an opportunity for us to be pruned to bear more fruit through the suffering. Bearing more fruit. Because you see, the Lord God himself, he prunes those whom he loves. Verse 3, Jesus says, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Beloved, what a great hope in this simple truth. Jesus' word is the thing that sanctifies us, that calls us holy, that calls us set apart. You see, Jesus says here that it's his word that he has already spoken to the disciples and to us that says we are clean. And if we are clean, then that pruning is for our good because we are in him. But verse 4, such a pivotal verse. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This word abide can be translated remain with. Remain with Jesus. Remain with his church. Remain with studying scripture. Remain with the preaching of the word. Remain with a life of prayer. Abide, remain with him. Because you see, without remaining in him, we can't bear any good fruit. Now let me hit on a cycle. Um, and I hate to ask like a classroom here, but feel free to, to raise your hand. Have you ever been in a cycle in which you don't feel like you're bearing fruit, and then you're looking at yourself saying, I'm not bearing any fruit. What's going on? Is my faith shattered? And, and is everything kind of going to hell in a handbasket? Has anyone else ever been there besides me? Okay, a few of you. Very good. Here's the thing. When we abide, when we remain with Christ, I promise you, there will be fruit. For some of you, you're going to get a huge basket of fruit off of, off of one limb of your life. Some of you are only going to get one piece of fruit. But the beauty is, if you're bearing fruit, it means that you are in Jesus. You're in him. And that fruit is a testimony that he is working in your life. Let me give you some, some, I think, practical ways out of the mouth of our Lord that we can remain in him, that we can abide in him. And the first is prayer. Our Lord throughout the Gospels is saying to us and to his disciples, go away with the Father and pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. To commune with God himself is in many ways simply to pray. Do we pray? How do we pray? Praying is not the same for everybody. Some of you have a prayer, a prayer closet, a place that you go to and you plead with the Lord. Others of you might just pray kind of ceaselessly as you're driving down the road or as you're thinking about people or places. Pray. That's a way to remain in Jesus. But also receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Another way you abide in him is you receive Holy Communion. We go on in John 8, Jesus gives us another way. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says this, 
some context. So Jesus said to the Judeans who had believed in him, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, interacting with Jesus' words in the gospel, knowing what those words actually are, interacting and reading the Holy Scriptures personally in your own life, set apart, time during the day, maybe in the evening. Here's another thing, praying and reading Scripture with your family, being and abiding in Jesus, doing it in fellowship groups, doing it in Sunday school. And finally, living the teachings of the Word of God in our life. All of this helps us remain in Him and to bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we look at our lives and we say, okay, God has not forsaken me. It's wonderful how that works, how that comes together. But finally, there's, there's a fourth way to abide, to remain in Jesus. Let me read, skipping down to verses 9 and 10 of chapter 15. Hear this final way. Jesus says in 9 through 10, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What a, what a, I mean, what a statement from the God of the universe. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. When we fulfill the commandments of Jesus, we are actually fulfilling the final command of love found in God. When we live into this commandment, we are remaining with Jesus and with his words, following him in love. Back to verse 5, for a moment there is a promise that we will bear fruit when we abide in him. James 2, 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith separate from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What is James getting at? That part of abiding in Jesus is following him and doing what he has commanded us to do, namely, loving God with our lives and our existence and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Let me make an important distinction here. We as Anglicans are a part of, you know, we went through kind of the English Reformation, so we are a Reformational church in some ways. We're also a Catholic church, small c. Taking the teachings of the first thousand years is very important. But here's what it means to abide in our Lord in a very, um, I think, specific way that hopefully will help you all think about this. Because growing up in the church, I always felt either guilted, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just do better. Quit sinning. You, you, stop it right there. Stop, stop sinning. Follow the Lord. I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yes, I should. But then on the other side, it was grace, grace, all is grace. All is grace. And it's just kind of like, you're just bleh, kind of going through life and you're not actually being sanctified at all, but you're in the, bleh, the, the kind of grace, blah. But here's the thing. Here's the mystery. God is not saying that you and I, through abiding in him, are to um, willingly enter into a bunch of works so that we can remain in salvation. No, no, no. He's asking for you and me to be willing to let God 
sanctify you to good works. There's a difference in the pull yourself up from the bootstraps and being willing to do the work. I mean, I, I can remember, and I've done this to my own children, and they're not old enough to be in the service yet, so I can still say these things. Next year, it's over. Um, God the Father is not an abusive, evil father who's standing over you saying, get right with me and quit sinning or I'm going to send you straight to hell. No, no, no. What he's saying is this. Abide in my son and be willing to let the Holy Spirit come into you and, and to offer up one good little tiny piece of fruit, one little tiny persimmon, not a huge watermelon, a tiny persimmon, and the Lord is going to work with that willing mindset. And he does it by the grace of God, something you and I can't conjure up. So we abide in our Lord by being willing, by being willing to receive the reality that he is the vine and we are the branches. Let me conclude with this. James chapter 1, again, that's going to help us understand the final few verses here of our gospel reading. Because in the final few verses of our gospel reading, our Lord says something that is always is difficult for me to understand. Maybe for you it's verse 11, the final verse of our reading this morning. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's hard to have joy in the midst of suffering. It's hard to have joy when you are disconnected from abiding in our Lord. Trust me, it is, it's, it's, it's impossible, I would say to finally have that kind of joy. But Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you about abiding in him. I've spoken these things to you that my joy, that is Jesus' joy, may be in you, in your being pruned and growing and bearing fruit, and that your joy may be full. Here's what James has to say. Brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Beloved, when trials of various kinds, death, your own sin, someone else's sin, when those things come upon you, remain in Jesus. Don't forsake him. Abide in him. And know that we can offer all of that, that suffering, over to him, and he will prune, and he will allow us then to bear fruit in the midst of our suffering. And I would venture to say, as I do quite often in my sermons, this may be my, my shtick, my thing I say too often, but it's this. When you bear that fruit in the midst of your life, others see it, and they wonder how, they wonder how and they wonder why. And it is then, through your abiding in Jesus, that you become an icon of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us pray here, beloved. Soul of Christ, sanctify us. Body of Christ, save us. Blood of Christ, inebriate us. Water from the side of Christ, wash us. Passion of Christ, strengthen us. O oh, good Jesus, hear our prayer. Within thy wounds, Hide me. Permit me not to be separated from thee, but to abide in thee. From the wicked foe, defend me. And in the hour of my death, call me. And bid me come to thee, that with thy saints 
I may, I may praise thee forever and ever. Amen.